Welcome. Uh, okay, there it goes. Welcome to No Cartridge After Dark. My name's uh, Trevor Strunk. I'm Hanglebond on Twitter, and I'm here as always with my uh, good friend Olivia, who is now uh, tell tell everyone your new your new Twitter, Liv. Uh, my at is now AV Club. This is Olivia. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, and we have a really special guest today, uh, someone who I have to tell you, I, you, you were part, a big part of my very first show ever. Um, uh, the, the bassist for and, and often vocalist for uh, the pop punk band Blink-182, we have Mark Hoppus on the show. Mark, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, of course. Our pleasure. Um, so yeah, the first show I was ever at was um, Warp Tour 99. And, okay. Uh, yeah, and you guys, you guys were headlining. I think uh, you were one of the two reasons I went. I went for you and Pennywise, and my mom took me, which was uh, really nice of her. Uh, but that, that was is like, a nice, mom. Yeah, that was I, more and more as I get older. I realize how nice that was to go to an all-day punk festival with me. But totally, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, you guys, you guys definitely uh, set me down the road for seeing a lot more shows, and uh, you know. My hearing doesn't thank you, but everything else is good. <laughs> what uh, what city did you go to? Uh, I was in, I actually went to Asbury Park that year. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever made it to. I think I made it to a Philly Warped Tour once or twice, but most of the time I went up to Asbury Park. I'm not right. entirely sure why, but it's a cool, cool place. Um, yeah. Did you guys? That was that was something you guys did more than once, right? Yes, we did the Warp Tour. I mean, we did the Warp Tour in the U.S. probably four times. Okay, yeah. We did Warp Tour Europe. We did Warp Tour Australia. We did Warp Tour Japan. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the Warp Tour. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and a lot of cool people and a lot of great bands and a lot of good memories. Sweet. Well, I, I'm just going to be – I'm going to stop being selfish and talking to you about, uh, you know, nostalgia of, for my sake. Uh, and I'm going to ask you about uh, – Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Liv ask. So, Liv, uh, why don't you start the questions off for for Mark, uh, wherever you want to start it. <laughs> well, as always, I'm uh, interested to know where people's gaming careers started. A gaming career being, as of course, like what's most nostalgic to you. What's the most nostalgic to me, or where did I? What, what was my first game? Uh, well, let's just do both. Okay, my first game ever. The first video game that I ever had. I bought at a yard sale. I was probably six or seven at the time. And there was a neighbor down the street who was having a yard sale. And I bought a used copy of Pong. And it was a, nice. it was like the size of a telephone book. And for those of you who don't know what a telephone book is, before the internet used to have a book about as large as a dictionary. Uh, damn, you probably don't know what a dictionary is either, you youngsters. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it was a huge console and all it had was two dials on it. And that was the whole game. You shot a electronic ball back and forth to one another. So that was my first game ever. Nice. I mean, that's a classic first game though. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's probably, I don't know if it was the first video game, but I feel like it was. You can make an argument. Did you like, did you have siblings? Did you play it with them or was it like a, a solo affair? It was pretty much a solo affair because at that time my sister was too young to really understand even how to turn the dial, I, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. so it was mostly me playing against myself, uh, which is pretty much how all video games are now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's deep, man. Can you can you elaborate on that? <laughs> uh, I think that at least for me and my generation, uh, being a latchkey kid uh, and having divorced parents and coming home to uh, an empty house for most of my childhood, uh, video games were an escape and a babysitter and a lot of fun. And I have a lot of uh, good memories of playing video games growing up. So uh, I feel like video games have been part of my family since since that day I bought Pong. Nice. Um, so, I, you know, I was a latchkey kid too. Divorced parents coming home to an empty house a lot. Uh, you know, not bad memories, but cer- certainly like a very specific kind of memory that I think is less and less relevant um, anymore to a lot of people since latchkey is uh, kind of frowned upon in a way that I don't think it was in the 80s and 90s. Right. Um, I am kind of curious though, because I, I, I know that games that you kind of spend time with as babysitter, as like friend in a certain way, uh, take on that nostalgia. So I'm super interested. What's your, what's your sort of like, uh, the game that sticks in your mind as either most nostalgic or most important to you, just whatever, whatever sort of pops out to you. Probably the most important video game in, uh, in my foundation of youth was the Atari 2600s space invaders game. Uh, that was probably the best Christmas present of my life was getting the Atari 2600 and getting, uh, space invaders for it was just a game changer in my whole life. So why is that? What, what, what about space invaders did it for you? Um, I mean, it was kind of the first video game that I got where you could actually do anything. I mean, the, I mean, the rudimentary control on the Atari 2600, uh, which is laughable now seemed like the height of technology back then. And there were actually two, there was the, uh, there was a joystick and then there was the pong style controller. Uh, but for some reason, space invaders was just a lot of fun. There were different levels you could do. There were different difficulties you could do. There was a special hack where if you (laughs) turn the game off and you held down the reset button, when you turn the game back on, you were suddenly able to fire two shots at the same time, which blew my mind. And, uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. And being able to play video <laughs> games at my house rather than going to an arcade to play video games was awesome. So, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a great Christmas when that happened. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I, I know on this show I've talked about my uh, – I'm a little – I'm like slightly uh, younger than you. So I had, I had a Nintendo Christmas um, in, in like 1990 or something like that. Uh, so I, I know those – I know those Christmases uh, – Liv, you're you're the youngest of the bunch. Have you played Space Invaders? Uh, not. I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe like an arcade or something like that. But I don't. <laughs> I would not promise that I have. <laughs> it was really cool when Space Invaders came out in the arcade. That was a big deal. And then when it came out that you could play it on your television at home, that was amazing. And uh, I mean. I can't even tell you how difficult it was to set it up back then. They had these weird connectors with like uh, you had to screw screws into the back of your TV out of these two wires that came out that has like these rabbit ears on it. And then you had to set your TV to channel three. And it was a whole deal just to even get to play the game. Yeah, it's sort of like it reminds me a lot of how uh, there's like a culture around building a PC now. Um like really setting up setting up that what could because consoles are so plug and play like the the very idea that i can just plug in my ps4 or my switch or whatever with an hdmi cable and a plug is so weird to me since you know i had to deal with like the 
that uh that weird coaxial cable to like tiny little wire to like various like welded on things back there there was like there was a kind of ownership uh to playing your video game that i think is like uh i don't know if it's a bad thing that it's lost but it's certainly lost it's not bad that it's lost at all it was kind of a bum out to have to do all that now just being able to plug in an hdmi cable and hit whatever input two is great <laughs> my parents were so confused about everything like even whenever we uh did you see what i was saying about like how my dad uh speaking about christmases my dad was like do you want to know a christmas secret whenever i was home this year I was like, oh, God, what is this going to be? And he was like, your Super Nintendo arrived at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And like, I just like thinking about my parents like setting something up like that on Christmas Eve is horrible to me. (laughs) (laughs) Did they did they have it plugged in for you when you woke up? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, they were talking about my brothers. My brothers got a Super Nintendo before I did. Um, I don't remember what theirs was set up for, but mine was set up for like uh, Yoshi's Yoshi's story. I think I don't remember. Mm. Well, like one of the, one of the things we've talked about a lot on the podcast so far, uh, especially with Olivia is like, you know, your parents, Olivia, and you can, you can tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but like your parents definitely had sort of a, um, a, uh, a gendered expectation as to what you'd be playing in gaming. Yes, that's absolutely that's fair. correct. <laughs> or that I wouldn't be gaming at all, but if I had to, <laughs> that it would be certain things. So you and your brothers each had your own Nintendos? Yeah, well, they were older than me, and so like the expectation was that they would play video games and that I would do something else. But eventually it was that I would be playing their game system so much that it seemed uh, inevitable that I needed to have something to occupy myself as well. Mm-hmm. And what games did you grow up playing? I mean, the same games as my brothers, like I I was always allowed to play the same games as them. But like if any game was given to me, like it needed to be like somehow gendered feminine. So like I got given any Disney games like the like Jungle Book game or Little Mermaid game or whatever like that. Okay. But I would play whatever my brothers were playing. So I played like (laughs) Super Mario or whatever else. Now, did you have the Super Mario where you were able to save it? I remember... Uh, on the Nintendo that I had in the late 80s, having to leave my Nintendo on for three days straight to beat Super Mario 2. Because you couldn't save. You had to just That's leave the machine cool. on the whole time. Super Mario 2 is intense. Yeah, it was great. I loved it when that came out. That was that took up a great deal of my uh, junior year. You know the whole story behind that, right? No. The, the, the reason it's so weird? No, why? Oh, so in, in Japan, Liv, you know this, right? No, Please oh. tell. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong, I'm sure. But in, in Japan, <laughs> it was um, the the game actually was never a Mario Brothers game in Japan. It was um, it was a game called Doki Doki Panic Two, uh, which was like this big cult thing in Japan. It sold great; people loved Doki Doki Panic. But they figured, like, well, we can't possibly. You know, this game is super successful. We want to bring it to the states, but no one in the states is going to play Doki Doki Panic Two. So they just reskinned it and made it Mario Two, which is why it's like. None of the villains ever show up again. Like Birdo's in it, and you know you don't see Birdo too often. Wart is in it. There's like it's a dream and stuff. That whole weirdness was just about them like sticking Mario onto a totally different franchise. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, I always found that really neat. Um, So, did you? I actually am wondering about this. Did you, um, Mark, game when you were 
in a band too. Cause like I, I was in a band, I actually played bass. Um, I don't know if you had the same uh, experience of becoming a bassist in a band that I did, which was um, I didn't know how to play an instrument and they needed, Oh, I didn't know how to play a string instrument and they needed a bassist. And they said, you can learn this in two weeks. Uh, so we're going to have a show in four <laughs> months. Just pick it up. Um, but so I wasn't great uh, or even good. I was okay. But um, I definitely, it didn't feel like the punk scene was a gaming scene then. And I don't know what it is now. I mean, gaming has changed a lot since I was a kid. But did you, when you started playing music more, uh, did you find yourself gaming less? No, I, I gamed about the same. And when we first started the band, the people uh, the people that we were always around uh, skateboarded and played video games. And, cool. you know, we... Um, we would say my mom, God bless her. She put up with so much nonsense. We used to play video games at her house uh, until like three and four o'clock in the morning uh, playing uh, super street fighter and <laughs> screaming and carrying on and by swearing. And my stepdad had a regular job and he would come out and my mom would come out at two and three o'clock in the morning to ask us to please quiet down. And we just wouldn't do it. We were just dicks. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to get excited about Super Street Fighter. Yeah, that was that was a game that took up years of my life. And I, I still, as dolls seem, I feel like I could take people down. <laughs> but you could. You could get back into the fighting game scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I still love it. And the cool thing now is that um, as a parent, playing video games with my son and growing up with my son uh, playing video games has been a really cool bonding experience and a really cool, I don't know, connection yeah. and something that even today, you know, uh, my son is downstairs right now playing overcooked. And, uh, and after I get off of this, I'll probably go down and join him for a while. Oh, that's sweet. I hear the co-op on overcooked is really good. Yes, I think it is. I, I have yet to play it. So I'm, I'm about to take my first turn at it, but, uh, right. but he's first by it. Oh, that's sweet. awesome. What have you been playing with them? Uh, well, he's really into Smash right now, the, the new Smash. Uh, he's really into that. But we grew up playing, um, even before my son could manipulate the controls, uh, we would play uh, Zelda. We would play uh, Paper Mario. We'd play a bunch of these games. And it's as strange as it sounds, I honestly credit video games and playing with helping to teach my son math and spatial learning and reading and uh logic and a lot of things um that i don't think video games get a lot of credit for and obviously i think there's a balance as a parent we still argue with how many hours a day he should be allowed to be on the computer versus doing other things but uh yeah, like, but yeah, i think the video games i think the video games get a bad rap a lot of the times for being just a, a waste of time but i think that honestly they can be uh educational even when they're not meant to be well, yeah, and I mean, like, it seems like it seems like it is, as you say, like a bonding experience. Like, I know my daughter's still too young to really get video games. Like, she'll play a couple of them, but most of what she likes is like things that you can click around on. Um, so, like, um, you know, tablet games and stuff like that are perfect for it. Mm -hmm. But I know we played we played a game called uh, Everything, uh, um, which is uh, sort of like a heady, weird game that I got off of Steam, where you basically play this little spirit who shifts between stuff in the world so you get to be like a cow and walk around as the cow and then you get to be a tree and 
she just loved it. And she'll still bring up, she'll be like, remember when I was the cow and I rolled around as the cow and then the other, (laughs) she just loves being, she loves controlling it and being part of it. And it's like, it's such a good feeling to like connect on that level to be like, this is a thing we both enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. When, uh, when our son was very first born, his very first Christmas, uh, my mom got me a GameCube because that was a brand new system that was out at the time. And with the GameCube, she got us the first Animal Crossing game. And through the middle of the night when our son was crying or having difficulty, we would take turns holding the baby and playing Animal Crossing. So when I, when I think about young babies crying through the middle of the night, I think about an adult trying to calm their baby down while trying to collect bells in a forest. Man, I was actually going to bring up if you'd ever played Animal Crossing. I got that whenever I was in fourth or fifth grade, and my town song was actually Adam's song. So oh, that's like, cool. <laughs> I have like a, a a fair amount of like gaming memories wrapped up in Blink One Eighty Two. Oh, that's um, really cool. Thank so you. I was going to ask you if you knew about that, but yeah, I love Animal Crossing, and uh, to my mom's credit, she is always, even as an adult, gotten me for Christmases, the new, whatever the new gaming system is from Nintendo. When it was the Super NES, she got me that. When it was the GameCube, she got me that. When it was Wii, she got me that. I remember the Christmas that Wii came out, my mom's, and I was a a grown adult in a successful band with a a successful career, but I wanted the, um, I wanted the Wii when it came out and my mom stood in line outside of Target for like seven hours. She was one of those moms. Uh, to get it for me so that was really cool that is neat i skipped a few so like i hadn't had one since the gamecube and i played the shit out of the gamecube like i played that for years after it was like the current system uh but then i didn't have another one till the switch like after i finished grad school and finally had a job to buy myself something again um so i'm really looking forward to the next animal crossing yeah i can't wait should be good i never really got into animal crossing um, and I'll tell you why it was because I always felt really bad about the very idea of just like leaving the town and never coming back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I, like I would have done something terrible, uh, by abandoning those people. Um, this is like a really weird kind of like pathological thing to think about a video game, but that very idea that like the world will go on without you, but they also kind of depend on you was just yeah. so so troubling to me. <laughs> I think that I'll I'll do well whenever it gets back to the Switch because you can I'm assuming that you'll be able to play with your online friends, but like I wouldn't have had anyone to play with for a while. But on the GameCube I could check in on my brother's house and whatever else. Yeah. So it's like nice to like have someone in my house playing it with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I know you live did play with your brother. Mark, did you ever end up playing games with your sister? Or oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. And and she likes playing video games as well. And her daughter now likes playing video games. And that's great. With Animal Crossing, especially, we would go to each other's towns and bring each other things that we needed, or trade stuff, or or things like that. So yeah, I love the Nintendo. I guess our family is more of a Nintendo family than like a Xbox family or. A or GameCube. Uh, I think that we just like the simplicity and the the fun of Nintendo games. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, it, it seems like Nintendo also encourages that kind of uh, 
cooperation whereby like you i remember with pokemon right like the the original game boy pokemons uh red and blue where you'd have to like in order to get all the pokemon you basically had to like hook up with a friend and the friend yes. would be like all right yeah like let's hook up our game cubes together with this like proprietary cable <laughs> and i'll create you a bulbasaur or whatever right um, <laughs> it was i mean that was cool like it was just a neat it was a very cool addition it felt it felt a lot like um it felt a lot like that kind of like social gaming that I think people are still trying to do better than Nintendo at and just failing. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I I love the the possibility and the you know even a game like Mario Party, which is you know we just had a, a Thanksgiving and we had a bunch of people over for Thanksgiving, family members and grandparents and aunts and uncles and things like that. And everyone just can grab a controller and it doesn't, the learning curve is tiny and it's a lot of fun and people are laughing and having a great time. And there's not a lot of, uh, I don't know, you need this button to do this and this trigger button does that. And this button over here, if you press it twice, you know, it's just, it's fun. You mean your, your family's not like, uh, like getting up to, uh, to a long game of Fortnite during Thanksgiving. No, uh -uh. you know, it's weird. Or not weird at all, but because I'm a you know a grown man, but I've never played Fortnite. I played Fortnite for maybe 15 seconds one time when uh, when my son was playing it. I said, "Can I can I try?" And I literally like landed, and somebody shot me, and that was it. And and uh, I feel like I've missed this entire cultural zeitgeist with Fortnite. There's a lot of inside jokes and uh, dances and things that I just go completely over my head because I don't know. I'm hmm. okay with it being for the kids. Like, yeah, same. The kids are very into it, and it's. You know, that's good. I'm glad they won't know what it's like it. to play Goldeneye, though. That's, that's right, right, they won't. <laughs> Proximity minds only, slappers only. Yeah, <laughs> some no like, all, all odd job or no odd job. That's yeah, a, the physical yeah. fights between siblings over if you could play odd job or Jaws. <laughs> I mean, that's something that's come up, I think, on every episode of After Dark so far, which is like, uh, so, so the distinction, uh, also for the audience, I guess, the distinction between After Dark and the regular podcast is the regular podcast is a little more heady, I guess. Um, we sort of talk about like one specific topic, but after dark is always kind of like much more casual. And I think one of the things about casual conversations about video games is that they always come back to how great couch co-op is like how good it is to like be in the same room as someone that you're playing against and what's kind of lost when that's just the internet. Yeah. And I think that's just like, gamer culture at large is that people think that it's becoming uh, increasingly isolated but i don't think that's like how we see it we don't want to be isolated we want to hang out with people and bond over things so i get i don't know yeah and i've always felt like the online gaming atmosphere uh brought people together more anyway just because you could play the game against somebody and especially when you could actually communicate with them in real time uh is was a huge leap. So I don't feel like it's isolating anybody. I, I'm hmm. sure that there are cases of that, but for me, I feel more like it, it brings people together. Even if you are in one room and somebody else is far away, although it is a lot more fun to be sitting there and either helping somebody or egging them on or talking trash. Oh, yeah, <laughs> now definitely. that we're, now that we're bringing up online play, I do remember to bring up the, the Blink-182 BlizzCon where, yeah. where you're talking about your level 85 hunter. Did you play a lot yeah. of World of Warcraft? I played a lot of World of Warcraft for a while, and then I stopped. 
uh, and no real reason. I, I don't know why. I think I just got distracted by something else. And it's been several years since I got since I've been played uh, since I have played it. Sorry. I think that's probably most people's story. But how did you get into it? Um, I think with my son, actually, I think that I was late on World of Warcraft um, just because I was playing more simple games with my son. And then as he kind of got old enough to play it on his own and I would play with him and we would uh, do cooperative things together. Uh, and then we ended up playing BlizzCon and that was really cool. I think that was one of the first times that my son actually thought like, oh, my dad is really cool. He gets to go <laughs> to do these cool things. And go to BlizzCon. And now, like, you know, he and I have gone to E3 uh, a few times together. Oh, wow. And, and uh, it's cool. It's fun. It's fun to get to see these things in advance. And it's fun to be in a room with people who are just as excited about video games as anybody could possibly be. And um, I don't know. There's just that level of enthusiasm for something that a lot of society just writes off as a waste of time and just, you know, stupid and what kids kids do in their basement or whatever you know well so like that actually kind of makes me wonder like i know that i mean like that's a very it's especially kind of like a pop punk ethos where like a lot of what blink 182 i think meant to a lot of people and a lot of what you know a lot of pop punk you know drawbreaker or um uh or the descendants or i mean there's a million bands you could list here um meant to people was like this embracing of um, just the thing that, you know, everyone said was a waste of time, like, you know, just like hanging out with your friends or like, uh, feeling a certain way about like, a, a, a song or like having like strong emotions or whatever. Like there's a million things that kind of like pop punk embraces in that kind of major key chord, uh, or major chord kind of way. And I don't know, like, it seems like the way you're talking about video games reminds me a lot of the way that I thought about, um, punk when i was a teen and like you know playing in a band and, and going to shows and stuff like that yeah I, I feel like there's a lot of that same energy when i was growing up uh you know the high school that i went to if you played video games or listened to punk rock music it, i mean there were probably 10 of us at the high school that i went to that listened to any kind of punk rock at all and you know we played video games i think some other people kind of play video games but most of the People in my school were more obsessed with uh, with sports and uh, and being popular, and we were definitely not into sports, and definitely were not popular. And <laughs> we loved it. We wore it as a badge of honor to uh, to be separate from from um, from the popular kids and doing our own thing and playing video games and listening to punk rock music. and And that's kind of how I grew up. Nice. Um- do you still have uh do you still have that like uh uncool kid chip on your shoulder? Yes. I think <laughs> I always will. I, I mean I, no, I, mean, I like I, it. I, like, I hear you. I'm the same I like, way. I like being outside of I don't know, normal or not necessarily outside of normal for the sake of being outside of normal. I like living life on my own terms and and not really worrying about what else is going on necessarily. Uh, that I don't care about or that doesn't really speak to me just because I'm su- supposed to, in quotes. Nice. Um, Liv, I've been talking too long. What do you, you, you jump in. I don't, I don't know. I've just been thinking about uh, like kind of this like same thing where I felt like Blink-182 kind of occupied this certain space in internet culture where they were kind of around when everyone was getting home internet 
And so I just remember like all the small things being like the MIDI clip on everyone's web page. And so like that being <laughs> right. like more than any other song, probably like that or in the end by Lincoln Park. Like it was one of those two. <laughs> um, so like, that's like my earliest like internet memories where it's like other kids weren't really into the internet and like looking at forums as much. Uh, so I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> one of my, uh, one of my proudest uh, achievements, I guess, is for years and years, uh, Blink-182 was in the top 10 of people's passwords. Oh, man. That's amazing. And I always thought that That's was one, awesome. of the, one of the coolest things because, you know, it combines letters and numbers and whatever. And for years and years, there were all these top 10 lists that they, uh, top 10 passwords. And, you know, password itself was number one and one, two, three, four, five, six was number two. And Blink was always in the top. Blink-182 was always in the top 10. I thought that was really cool. And I still get excited today. Uh, and and proud when I see you know Twitter handles with whatever the person's name is 182 or or uh, stuff like that. I think it's rad. Well, it's the same thing, right? Like it's whenever people were getting internet in their homes, like that's what they were thinking about. So it's just like immediately woven into like the beginnings of the internet. I won't I won't tell you which nineties. Um, California punk band was my password because I still <laughs> sometimes use it. Um, it wasn't Blink 182, unfortunately. Uh, Mine was I, Green Day. Yeah. So. <laughs> was being the operative thing, but uh, yeah, I, I sort of got into you guys a little later after I did all my passwords. But um, mm. but I'll yeah. forgive you. No, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think what's what's cool about it too is like it's i don't know it was that era like i feel like you guys and uh and a bunch of other bands of that era had like had names like band names that you know a lot of it's not totally different from a lot of it uh band names throughout the years where like there are signifiers in it that you don't quite understand but i feel like because of the internet because of the rumor mill because of like you know there being meanings to your songs and stuff like that it, it felt a lot like um I felt a lot like that time in in uh, in growing up where all of a sudden everyone had a theory as to like what does the 182 mean or like mm-hmm. what is three like the 311. I remember people saying like it's KKK because it's the 11th letter of the alphabet three times and you know just like right. which I mean it's not I you know nothing gets 311. I don't think that's correct. They seem like <laughs> much, seem much more chill than yeah, that. That's yeah, they're a lot more chill than that. I, I've met them. I know them. I think that's probably the furthest possible thing away from what 311 could mean. It always seemed that way. The band that wrote Amber didn't seem like they were really interested in, uh, <laughs> in white supremacy. But, you know, totally. uh, but people bought into that. And, like, it just, like, that kind of rumor and, like, you know, when's the next album coming out, talking on forums and stuff, just dovetailed so nicely with, like, okay, like, when's the next Final Fantasy coming out? Like, who's who's going to, like, those kind of, that, that like, inquisitiveness is so linked in my mind between video games and and, and punk. That's cool. I, I've never really thought about it like that, but I, but that makes sense to me. So how is how is making music now? Like, do you still, do you still feel the same uh, as you did when you were, when you're starting out? Is it a different kind of uh, satisfaction it gives you? Like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed and, like, extremely impressed that uh you're still you're still plugging at it that's awesome uh for like i i can't imagine um having the energy to do it now uh so you know that's amazing and really really cool um does it bring you to the same kind of feeling or is it something different like have you do you feel like you've 
you've matured into like a new appreciation or is it always still the same once you step on stage? It is always the same when I step on stage. So uh, it so hasn't, jealous. hasn't changed. <laughs> Hasn't changed a bit. The, the probably one of my favorite moments in the entire world is coming home from a studio with a song that you just absolutely love and you're blasting it on the way home in your car. And I come home and I play it for my wife and I'm like, listen to this song, listen to the song. And then, uh, inevitably I wake up the next day and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'll never write another good song. <laughs> but that moment when, you're bringing home something that didn't exist before and you're proud of it. And you think that uh, you hope that other people are going to like it. Uh, there's still nothing like that, that feeling or when you walk off stage after a really good show then um, people are there and they're smiling and they're singing your songs back at you. That's really special and really amazing. And we're blessed to get to do that at all. And to be doing it after all this time is a real honor. I don't know. I, and then, I haven't lost that feeling, and I hope to God I never do. That would suck. That's awesome. I mean, I'm 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 jealous because I remember it, it actually. I did a live show of the podcast just like a couple months ago for the first time, and it was the first time I did a live show since oh man, probably since I was like 20. Um, my last band, my last show with my band, and um, man, it was awesome. Like it was such a good feeling, and I was saying to people, I was like, I know, like, like I don't. It's not being a rock star to get up and do like a live podcast. But like even getting a fraction of that back, like a fraction of the feeling of being on stage was so cool. Um, my fave thing, my favorite thing was uh, when we wrote a new song and we played it live for the first time to see mm-hmm. like, what people would think of it. Like and I just like know it was in my, our back pocket, um, even though I mean, we weren't, you know, uh, we were just a, a towny band like we didn't, you know, have any. Uh, we maybe had a couple people who were at most of our shows, but like just that feeling of like, OK, we got this new one definitely this is going to rile people up. This is going to be good. Um, I think that anybody who's trying to do something creative and feels like they've done something that they are proud of mm-hmm. or they want to share with people. I mean, it could be as simple as, I don't know, sewing a quilt and putting it up at your local library and being proud of that. I, I, I think it's pretty universal for people that want to make something that if they're proud of it, then they, there's a special feeling of pride. And then, of course, that special feeling of I'll never do this again. Yes, that's how I wake up every day. Uh, It's taken me a long time to come to grips with that. Every time I sit down to write a song, every time I sit down to write lyrics, uh, there's just this incredible barrier of entry for me where I just have this period where I'm like, anything I write is going to suck. I've pretty much said everything that I can possibly think of to say. I don't really like, what am I going to do? Uh, fuck. I mean, damn, it was probably the best song that I'll ever write. And that was back in 1997. Uh, and then, you know, we start working on stuff and then something comes together and one thing leads to another. And then you're like, Oh shit, this song is really cool. I like this. This is great. And, uh, and then, like I said, I wake up the next day and I'm like, Oh, well, what am I going to do now? (laughs) That's just like, that's just, it's, it's basically like the, uh, the bands you grew up with are just like us. That's a, that, that's affirming uh, to me. If it may, if it may. <laughs> um, Liv, what did you, like, what was your, I'm just kind of interested. Cause like my, so my frame around music is 99. Like I, I definitely started listening to, I, I, I bought, um, when I was in fourth grade, I got the offspring smash and green days dookie as like a twofer on that one Christmas. And like, 
that was a, a very formative thing. But like in seventh grade, I really started listening to stuff and going to shows and like really getting into it. Um, so like, that's really what informs my understanding of it all. When was your, like, when was your like music year? Like if you could pin one down. Uh, that's hard to say. Like, um, obviously I wasn't allowed to listen to a lot. Like I, for Mark, I grew up in like a very Southern Baptist house. Um, so I wasn't allowed to listen to it. It was all banned except blank. (laughs) 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 But like me and my brother would download music. And, um, so like in late elementary school, I remember like having like a handful of like Green Day songs and, uh, and Blink songs and, I don't really remember what else. Like maybe in seventh grade, though, like people were able to start making me mix CDs of stuff or like ripping me full CDs. Um, so probably like around seventh grade was whenever I first started listening to modern <laughs> modern music, which was like 2004, 2005. Um, I guess that year. I don't know. That was like My Chemical Romance, like the, the Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge year, I think was 2004, 2005. Okay. And Mark, same question for you. Actually, I realized that I, I, I want to know what was your like, what was your big year? Like, were you were you like a uh, like, was it somewhere in the late 80s? Were you uh, were you like a, a hardcore kid? I wasn't a hardcore kid. Um, probably in like 86, 87, I started listening to like The Cure okay. and The Smiths and New Order and Joy Division and I didn't really listen to punk rock until 88 when my girlfriend at the time played me silly girl by the descendants. Oh, and that just blew my mind. Yeah. Th- that song blew my mind. All the punk rock that I had heard before that was really political and angry and abrasive. Uh, and I didn't get into that at first. It was just, I don't know, off putting to me. And then I heard the descendants and they were, like the punk rock beach boys you could sing along to it they were singing about things that i could relate to like girls and parents and hating school and just wanted to go hang out with my friends and so i really got into the descendants and then i got into bad religion and then i got into sonic youth and pennywise and it just kind of spiraled out from there nice. uh and then i worked my way backwards to bands like um the sex pistols and the damned and and bands that I probably should have listened to earlier than I kind of worked my way backwards in punk rock, but that's just how, uh, how I learned it. So, uh, yeah, probably between 86 and 89 were probably like my formative years of figuring out what music really spoke to me. Hmm. Cool. I think that's fair. I think most people probably worked their way back after like hearing what's most popular at the time and then like figuring out what they should have listened to like i probably didn't start listening to new order the descendants till i was like 19 or 20 um Mm -hmm. but it was because i was working my way back so i think that's fairly i don't know i think that might be the typical experience that you don't like hear what's most appropriate for you at the time that it's released yeah well and i would listen to the sentence or i would be talking about the descendants and 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 people who I knew would be like, well, what about the Sex Pistols? And I'm like, I've heard of the Sex Pistols, but I don't really know them that well. <laughs> and, and so then they would be like, oh, dude, you got to listen to this. And they would they would uh, give me cassettes back then or even vinyl. Nice. 
Yeah. Did you? Uh, I remember getting a bunch of uh, a bunch of records that I needed to listen to uh, by taping them off of a friend's uh, CD player, like doing the the dual tape CD move, um, which mm-hmm. is just such a classic. Like that was like I I miss it. Um, you know, definitely uh, definitely enjoyed my Oingo Boingo record that I got that way. <laughs> um uh and getting a mixtape getting a proper mixtape from somebody or having a crush on a girl and saying like i'm gonna make you i'm gonna make you a tape and really agonizing over the order and which songs you're gonna put on and you know do i do a 60 minute tape or do i really splurge into a 90 minute tape or do i uh like that was an art unto itself and and it still exists obviously with curated playlists and DJs putting it together a great set and things like that, but just the personal one-on-one, I am going to make a tape for this person of music that I like that I think will speak to them is really a, a unique uh, form of communication that has kind of gone away. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's, it's a shame. I think I would still make a mix CD for someone. Like I would still want a mix CD from someone. I still put CDs in my car sometimes. Um, See, I don't even have a CD player anymore. <laughs> Maybe that would be a problem. <laughs> I use my PC as like, a well, we'll, be on, <laughs> we'll be on tour and somebody will hand me a CD of their band and, and I really appreciate it. But I, I'm like, I don't have any way to listen to this. So I have to like pull out my uh, whatever. Your walk. What's it called? It's super, <laughs> super drive and uh, <laughs> get a dongle to attach it to my laptop and then burn it. And I don't know. It's amazing that you have that kind of commitment for your fans, though, that you burn every CD. I do. Any CD that somebody gives me, I make sure that I rip it into my i. I don't even have an iPod anymore. What am I talking about? Uh, put it on my phone. Yeah, there you go. No, actually, I, I had that same problem where I like I I bought the I like just basically out of muscle memory. I bought and I would have done it with the new Bad Religion CD, except I I at the time, except I um. I had this happen first. I bought the new, uh, the then new, the just come out Wu Tang CD, and I bought it. I was really excited to listen to it, and then I was like, "Wait, I have this piece of plastic that I no longer really have a relevance for." <laughs> I was like, "Well, this yeah. is neat. Uh, glad I have this. Glad I bought this out of muscle memory. That's a weird feeling." Um, and I don't think I don't <laughs> think I bought anything ever again. Like uh, that was a CD. It's just it's it's. I'm I'm with you. I. I love the idea of a mix CD. I just, I, my wife made me one when we were dating, which is really sweet of her. And that's a nice memory. At least, at least I, mm-hmm. at least like the, the sort of ultimate relationship I was in had a mix CD as part of it. That's a, it's a nice silver lining. Yes, it is. But, uh, it's just, it's technology moves forward. And I think that people are always going to gravitate towards what is convenient. Mm-hmm. You know, when, uh, when MP3s first started coming out, there was a huge debate uh, behind the scenes in the music industry between, uh, you know, like label presidents and musicians and engineers and mixers and the people that create music. And when iTunes came out uh, and MP3s were becoming prevalent, there was this whole thought that like, well, people aren't going to want to listen to MP3s. They're, they're not as good as a CD. They don't sound as good as a CD. They're like, they're compressed files and the sample rate isn't the same and the, the bit depth isn't the same. And people aren't going to want to listen to inferior sounding music. Music is so important to people. It defines their lives and it defines their relationships and huge moments in their, in their existence. But 
people love the convenience of MP3s. And, you know, I, I don't think that most people know or care the difference between an MP3 or a CD or a, a WAV file necessarily or things like that. They just want to put it on and rock out and sing along and, and enjoy their lives. Yeah. I, d- I do think that's fair. Um, but I, like, I miss like the nostalgic factor of a mix CD. Like, do you seek out like that same amount of nostalgia? Like I still make monthly playlists cause it ends up being about like 80 minutes long, like whatever songs I'm really into for a month. Mm-hmm. Like, do you still look to make those moments in your life where it's like, okay, this is what the songs I was into for this time period of my life are. I still reference those things. And I'll still hear a song even from recently and be like, Oh yeah, that was, that was what I was doing last summer. Or that was, you know, uh, the, this time where I was going through a dark period and that song helped me through it or, or things like that. And I still think that music does that with people. Um, and I miss going into a record shop and hearing something being played and being like, what is this? This sounds really cool. And the guy behind the counter saying like, Oh, this is the new band, whatever. Uh, so I miss that form of discovery. Uh, I miss finding like a rare pressing of something or, or an album that I didn't know existed by an artist. And I mean, it was years before I even knew what any of the descendants looked like because <laughs> they didn't put pictures of themselves on their album artwork. So I had no idea. And now if you get into a band, you can see what they look like. You can see what they ate that, that day for lunch. You can download their whole catalog in you know a matter of hours so i think that that i don't know museum like discovery is gone but i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing i think that you know people our age get nostalgic for walking into a record store and discovering something that you didn't know existed but i I don't think that it's any different necessarily than someone just finding out a band for the first time on spotify I worry sometimes that like my nostalgia for that is kind of gatekeepy. Like, and I know that that word's thrown around a lot, but I I think a lot about how I've never heard it. Before. Oh, like like uh oh okay, like uh I know what you're saying, but I've never heard oh, okay. it before, so I don't think it's being thrown around as much. Good, as you think. yeah. I guess I just see it on Twitter a lot, which I mean is always the the kind of echo chamber that makes a makes it feel like everything's more prevalent than it is. Um, but yeah, no, I like I I remember getting into to to Godspeed You Black Emperor and just like going to the record store and like going to different record stores and just like, oh man, I never saw this one before and buying it and not knowing if it was a bootleg or an official release or whatever because like I couldn't mm-hmm. find anything about them and they were just this mystery to me, and that isn't something you can really do anymore. <laughs> you can always just Google the band, but um, I mean that's not it's not better. Like I would have been able to hear all their music. That would have been cool. Um, yeah. it, it's, you know, that, that kind of like, I don't know, fetishizing of, of difficulty. Uh, that, that's something that I always had to fight against when I was in, uh, any sort of scene. Cause like, I would always feel like, well, you didn't earn, you didn't earn the cred that I did, or you didn't earn, like you didn't work hard to figure out who this band was. You just found them. And like, you just want to be like, it's just, it's just music. Like let them listen to it. This is, uh, it's not, it's not about being in a club. Yeah. Oh, I, I've always, not always, but uh, I know what you're saying. And I've really tried, I, I think I've always been in the mind that I would rather have people listening to the music that I listen to than than other garbage <laughs> <laughs> that I don't like. So, you know, like when um, like when Nirvana broke or when Green Day broke or when any any band broke that I thought was really cool and then I'd see people that I would be like, oh, that dude's lame. Why, why are they listening to 
Green Day? Why are they, why are they listening to Nirvana? And then I'm like, wait, I'd rather have that dude listening to Nirvana than <laughs> listening to something that I don't like. And then as I've gotten older now, and think something that I'm I'm really excited about and something that I think is definitely changing for the better is that now people don't categorize music mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Kids today, like when I was in high school, you listened to punk rock or you listened to heavy metal or you listened to hip hop or you listened to country. And if, God forbid, somebody in our punk rock circle decided that they want to listen to heavy metal, we would just rail against them nonstop. Mm-hmm. And now people don't give a damn. People like... You know, people listen to a Blink song and they'll listen to a Britney Spears song and they'll listen to a JC, a Jay-Z song and they'll listen to whatever, Post Malone or any, nobody cares. It's like, if you look at, if you look at someone's playlist right now, it's everything. And I think that it is great for music in general. I think it's great for, I don't know. I, I, I like that a lot. Nice. Yeah. It seems like there's less of a, um. I don't know. Like it seems like music had more of a, a not monetary value, but like that it physically held more value than it does now. Whereas like you can really listen to anything at any time. Like we held a lot of value in what was like poser punk versus like real punk. Whenever I was in middle school, and it was like we all listen to pop punk. Like it, you know, there wasn't like any, I don't know, true value to it. It's it's silly. I'm glad that kids are moving on. Yeah, it's, but definitely for the yeah, better. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I got to ask you, uh, Mark, what uh, – and it could be – I actually find – I find the fact that you are playing games with your son very heartwarming and um, and encouraging for the future um, for me personally uh, because I get to then play games with my kids because I know my daughter definitely likes them. Um, we'll see about the five-month-old. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He just likes, he, he likes all sorts. He smiles a lot, but who knows what he actually likes. Um, but uh, um, what game, what game are you looking forward to playing this year? Um, we're, we're, we're on, we're perching on the new year, depending on when this comes out, it'll be in the new year. Um, is there, mm-hmm. and, and not, not that you have to be keeping up with any of like the news cycles or whatever, but any sort of game that you maybe already played or want to play more of, or you're looking forward to playing on uh, with your son or, anything at all is there anything you're looking forward to playing um with you know whatever spare hours you find to do it i haven't dug into the new smash yet and i really want to do that more and i want to get pretty competent at i really want to beat my son at least once (laughs) Uh, good luck there's there's been a strange kind of passing of the torch where you know when we first started playing video games together he would literally sit on my lap and i would have to do the controls and i would say where do you want to go and he'd go let's go this way and so then, you know, I would always, he would have to, you know, even with like, um, what are those DS games, Mario and Luigi versus whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, yeah, like, they basically uh, like you could, you could sort of, you could kind of team up. Like you jump on each other and you yes. use each other's yeah, powers yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but I would always have to help him through the things. And now he has become way more competent in a lot of the games than, than I am. And he can definitely still he can definitely now beat me at Smash. And I feel like I need to step up my game and at least take him down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> I and am, play the new Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing, yes. Animal Crossing is great. Yeah, hopefully that comes out soon. I don't know when exactly that comes out, but sometime in the next year, I think. Yes. If that comes out, 
I can't wait for that. That's what I'm looking forward you to. You can move away from like you can be like hyper competitive with Smash, and then when it starts to get too intense, just like shift over to Animal Crossing. You know what I've really gotten bogged down in for the past probably four months is uh, Fallout Shelter. Okay, <laughs> on my Switch, I play it on my Switch, and it's just you know the same like game is is on a phone or an iPad or whatever. But that's what I ended up going to, and my Fallout Shelter is really well thought out and really efficient and uh and i'm really proud of it i feel like i've seen your uh proud postings of pokemon go more than anything yes and that is something that my son and i have definitely bonded over is pokemon go and you know we'll spend a saturday going to the santa monica pier because there's so many uh there's so much going on there and especially when legendaries come out there's so many people there, so you can go on all these great raids and and um, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a lot of fun playing that game just in general, but also especially playing it with my son. Yeah, I think Pokemon Go is a gorgeous game. Like as in like whenever I go out to a museum or anything, like there's always people at a museum playing Pokemon Go, and it's like they wouldn't necessarily be there otherwise, especially outdoor museums. I was driving through Los Angeles uh, a couple months ago. And there was this park and there's a big giant tree in this park and I'm driving past and it looks like about 15 or 20 people underneath. And it looks like there's um, looking at hymn books or reading out of a Bible. And as I get closer, I realize that it's 20 people all hunting Pokemon on that one. Tree. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. They just like they just I, I, is is Pokemon Go still pretty, pretty active where, where you are? Like, I, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the excerpts of. Pennsylvania, Philadelphia now, and uh, people walk so little around here that I think Pokemon Go kind of had its moment and then died out. But I always wondered if, like, in Santa Monica, in, like, places where it was warm and people like to be outside, if it still was, like, a thing. I feel like it's not as much of a thing as it was when it first mm-hmm. came out until until there's a big event and you go, like, um, there was a legendary event last month and I was uh, doing a Blink-182's residency in Las Vegas. And I didn't really know where to go. And I, I went on Twitter. I'm like, hey, where's a good spot to go for Pokemon? And a couple of people said, oh, there's this one park in Las Vegas. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll go there during the day. And I went there with our tour manager. And the entire park was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there just for that event. Like way more people than were there to like have picnics with their family or enjoy the sunshine or anything like that. It was hundreds of Pokemon fans, some dressed up in, uh, you know, Pokemon outfits and T-shirts and Pikachu hats and all kinds of stuff. So I think that overall, maybe the it's not as popular as it was in the beginning, but I feel like it's underground. There's a whole lot of people that still do it. That's awesome. That's, That's really incredible. good. Yeah. Whenever I first started playing it, it was summer in South Louisiana. So, like, as soon as I opened up my phone, it, like, immediately overheated. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll wait a little bit. And then, like, by the fall, it seemed like it was too late to get into. Like, people were already, like, leveled up. And I didn't know if I could get back into it or not. The interesting thing is, what's the end game? Right. Like, with Pokemon Go, you, you go out and you catch all these dudes and you... Now you can trade, I guess, and now you can battle with people, which is great, or you can do raids. But really, what's the end game? I don't know. And I keep doing it. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I get it. The mark of any good game is that you don't need an end game, that you just like have the joy of playing it. This is like if you do have the joy of playing it. You speak like a a true MMO head, Liv. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) There's no way that you can play uh, WoW or Guild Wars as much as I have, and then uh, expect like an end game that really fulfills you. Maybe that was the thing that I ended up not continuing playing World of Warcraft because no matter how far I got, there was all these people that needed more shit and more things that people expected me to do and more people I had to fight. I'm like, at some point, you guys got to take over here. (laughs) I can't be your end all be all for, you know, I can't always go and fight that creature and I can't always go. Whatever. Yeah, I need y'all to know Although, that I'm not the hero of this universe. Like, y'all need to do it. I'll be here. I'll watch y'all. <laughs> yeah. Y'all need to help out. Come on. But at the same time, I guess it's the same with Animal Crossing. Like, man, you're gonna have to find your own apple today. I'm not. I'm not doing <laughs> that for you. I'm not catching any fish today. I don't care if it's raining. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> man, I. But the joy of catching a colacanth. That's really cool. That is cool. You just made me feel like I needed to go do something when you said fishing while raining because I thought of Stardew Valley. And I was like, there's some there's some rare ones that I need to get. Like there's still that <laughs> obligation in the back of my mind. Um Well, Mark, we're at an hour. I told you it'd be about an hour. This is this was cool. This was great. It was really fun talking with you. Uh Liv, do you feel like we left anything out? I mean, I would always be happy to talk to Mark more, but I, I do not need to keep him more than an hour. Yeah, no, same. same. Uh, and I and I mean, I would feel absolutely gutted if I kept you from playing Overcooked with your son even even one minute past an hour. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. It's nice talking with you all, and especially about something that I care so deeply yeah, about. Yeah, um, and, and please, anytime you want to come on, anytime something catches your eye, please uh, let us know. And uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for, for New Blank. If we go back, do you guys ever go to E3? Uh, I, you know what? I, I've actually gotten to a point with this that I feel like I could justify it. So, yeah, I've, I'm hoping to, yes. All right, cool. Well, if you ever need, like, an E3 correspondent or something like that, I can oh, always be yeah. your guy. No, actually. Wow, absolutely. Yeah, I will, I will hold you to that. You're, you're going to get some some messages from me about that. Um, that'd be great. Cool, let's do it. All right, man. Well, um, thanks for being on, and uh, talk soon. All right, talk to you later. See ya. Bye, good night. Bye. Listen, human. Don't forget to subscribe to patreon.com slash no cartridge. That's patreon.com slash no cartridge. Five dollars gets you the word flesh sack.